0: Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and look at your word. We ask the Holy Spirit to guide and lead us as we look at your word and show us what you would have us to see from this. In your son's precious name, amen. First Samuel, chapter 30. We're going to be starting at verse 16. And remember, thus far we've had David being told that he couldn't go to battle with uh, Achish. Uh, he gets back to his city of Ziglag. It's been burnt to the ground and the Amalekites have taken away all the people. They started chasing the Amalekites and they found the Egyptian. We left off talking about the Egyptian who had been abandoned and uh, he makes the deal with David that he will take them to find the Amalekites that have taken, taken their people. And uh, so we have at least three days trip between Akish and Ziglag. And we have some period of time between Ziglag and the time they find the Egyptians. Uh, The Egyptian was left three days before. We don't know if that's on top of the time of of Ziglag or or real soon thereafter, Uh, probably real soon thereafter because David and his men seem to have only been traveling for a short period of time. Um, We saw them leave 200 men back at the brook of Bezor because they just couldn't go any further, they're just so tired. And I just bring this time frame up to our minds that, you know, they traveled up to, from Ziglag up to Akish about three days, then they traveled back from Akish back to Ziglag, which was three days, and then they get to Ziglag and they start a forced march (laughs) So we're talking, you know, a week, two weeks of, you know, travel time for these poor guys. Uh, and uh, and they find this Egyptian in verse 16. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread upon abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight even unto even the evening of the next day, and there escaped not a man of them save 400 young men which rode away on camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herds, which, which they drove before those other cattle and said, this is David's spoil. All right. So we see here the Egyptian was true to his word. He takes them to where the enemy is at. And you look at this description that it says, they were spread abroad upon the earth. All right, there was no Apparently there was no guard, there was no anything. They had just camped all over. So this was a fairly large group that they had seen. And they were they were eating, drinking, and dancing because of the great feast. These guys were in a full riotous party. All right. Uh, they were eating, drinking. The dancing is the... the the idea in the in the language is that it was a feast dancing they were staggering all over them and these guys were wiped out. Uh, They were going to be an easy battle for David and his men because they had been partying. How long they had been partying? uh, Long enough that the uh, Egyptian had been left for three days and so maybe it had been a three-day party already at this point in time or at least a two-day party. These guys had been partying and drinking and feasting, and they were having a grand old time. They They had been victorious, and they were enjoying the spoils of their victory. And we see David come upon them, and it says in verse 17, David smote them from twilight even into the evening of the next day. Now, twilight has an interesting connotation because we don't know, the Hebrew used twilight as both the morning and the evening. Okay, so we don't know whether he came upon them at dusk after they had been partying all night or if he came upon them at the daytime. Really doesn't necessarily matter, uh, but when David comes and fights them, I tend to believe that it was evening to, to... the evening of the next day so it was only about a 24-hour battle. Uh, if you believe it's in the morning it's not a big deal but that means that they're fighting almost 36 hours after a long forced march and after a trip you know to the northern part of the country and back again. Yeah, anything's possible I tend to believe that this is a twilight meaning the evening and they fought for 24 hours. Again. How big was this battle? These guys are drunk out of their minds. They're, you know, they've been feasting, they're stuffed. Uh, They're not in a condition to fight. So again, I kind of believe it's a 36 hour, uh, 24 hour rather than 36 hour battle, but it's still an easy battle. (laughs) And uh, when somebody's drunk, it's hard for them to get back into ready to fight, and you know, if you've ever been feasting for any period of time, you know, you've had a great big meal, the last thing you wanna do is get up and, and run a race or fight a battle, uh, but David goes out and he kills all of the people except for, it says, 400 young men who rode away on camels. David and his men weren't gonna keep up with the camels. Uh, even if they had tried to change him. He only had 400 men, and these guys are running on camels, and in the desert climates, camels are a much better equipped beast to ride than the horse, Uh, and they could have kept going for a lot longer than the horses could go. The, The horse is faster on its initial run, but the camels have the endurance over the horse by far, especially in that desert conditions where there's not a lot of food. So only 400 people, which gives you an idea of how large this group must have been that made this raid. This was not a small raiding force that the Amalekites went in with. If 400 get away, and it says that David smote all, there had to have been at least a thousand, if not more, in this raiding party or warring party. Uh, And David would not have been able to kill them if they hadn't been drunk out of their minds in the first place. Uh, this was a pretty easy battle for David as easy as any battle ever gets but 400 people managed to keep their wits and get away and uh, so we see here David finally catches up with the people and remember when we started this the people were wanting to stone David now they're happy with David (laughs) they got their stuff back Uh, and this is the fulfillment of what God said God said Pursue them, for you will surely catch them and destroy them. And so we see this whole process. And then verse 18, it really has this, And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. Now think about what David has now recovered. He has recovered his city of Ziglag, everything that was taken from them, everything that was taken from southern Judah, and everything that was taken from the southern part of the, ph- the Philistines. All right. David's recovered all of this, and we're gonna see David returns the, some of the stuff to the, to the Judah, Judah, but he is taken more spoil from the Philistines. all right. Um, and we have the king of the Philistines trusting him. He <laughs> wasn't fighting the Amalekites? He was fighting the Amalekites, but they had, ju- they had taken the stuff, from, those, the, from southern Egypt, uh, uh, Judah and the southern part of the Philistines, as well as Ziglag. Yeah, so he's conquered. He has gotten a whole bunch of spoil. All right. Now, and uh, it says, and again, points out that David got his wives back. Uh, the writer of this book wants to make sure we know David got his wives. You know, his wives were taken. Now we got them back. Um uh, and there was nothing lacking in them neither great nor small neither sons nor daughters neither spoil nor anything that had been taken david recovered it all and david took all the flocks and the herds which they drove before those other cattle and said this is david's spoil so out of all the animals that were brought in david took the sheep and the goats <laughs> that is what that literally means the flocks and the herds are the sheep and the goats and it, they, those, he said, these are mine, and the cattle would have been all your other animals. Well, I they were talking about the ones that they had got from the other cities. Uh, probably true. Yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure his people took what belonged to them. Okay. Uh, and, but part of it is David's. Okay. And David takes the flocks and the herds. And you're right, he probably did not take his 600 men's yeah. stuff. Okay. Uh, if they had cattle and sheep, they got theirs, but the rest of this, he took. And again, spoils. Part of the reason that his men were upset with him when they found Ziglag destroyed, they were already upset with David because remember, when you went to battle, your pay was the spoils of the battle. So these guys were really getting ripped off as far as they were concerned. Okay, we don't get to go to battle. We don't get to, and they're ready to fight Israel. I mean, David's not ready to fight Saul but they're ready they don't care who they fight and they're going when we get there we're gonna have all this riches because we get all the the jewels and everything that's left on the battlefield and they get kicked out of the battle. So these guys are already in a bad mood when they get to Ziglag and find that Ziglag has been destroyed and then they're ready to kill David and now they're getting the spoils from a lot of different places. A lot of different places. And they're going to feel it like it is ours. It's all ours. We got it. It's ours. That was the mentality in that particular time. We, we, we beat these guys, everything. doesn't matter that came from southern Judah and, and southern Philistines. Uh, it's ours. We, we, we retrieved it. Uh, and it says, so David took his spoil out of it. Verse 21. And David came to the 200 men that were faint, so faint that they could not follow David, and when they made also to abide at the brook of Besor, and they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men, the men of Belial, of those that went with David, and said, because they went not with us, they will, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. Then David said, You shall not do so, my brethren. With that which the Lord hath given us, we shall who has preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our into our hand? For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goes down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarries by the stuff. They shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. All right. So David and his men come back. They, they meet this group of people that were just so tired they couldn't go to battle. All right. And, you know, we commented on that the, you know, the two weeks ago when we talked about it. You know, how tired must you be not to even want to go rescue your family? And that's why I really put this timeline out. You know, they've been they've been traveling for a good week, you know, a solid week to ten days before they started this forced march. These guys are tired. They're they're not, you know, they're not uh lollygagging or just saying, you know, I'm just so tired, I just can't go. They're literally to the place where I can't even I can't David, I cannot go even to save my family. And when David comes back, they've been guarding the stuff. Now we talked about this before. When an army travels, there's stuff. All right. There's baggage cars, there's wagons, there's servants, all kinds of stuff. Even in today's military, when the military travels, there's stuff. Now we they may be able to get where they're going and have helicopters delivered and, and that type of stuff nowadays. But even then even in today's today's battles, you usually have a line of trucks that come in later on and supply your forces. Uh, This is what was going on. David basically said, okay, you 200, and we see here, he says, those who guarded the stuff. We know that David had some kind of wagons. He'd gone to battle, he'd gone up to go to battle with Achish. He was sent back. They would have had wagons and and baggage. They get to Ziglag, Ziglag's destroyed, so they were gonna take everything they have to chase these guys. And all of a sudden, they are now able to free up. He goes, "Okay, two of you, two hundred of you are not able. You guys just guard. You guard the baggage cars. That way, when we come back, if we don't catch them or whatever, we get beat and we're retreating, we'll have our stuff." All right. They were the supply. You know, they were watching the supplies. And uh, when David comes and meets them, they greet him. They go, "Hey, we're here. We, you know, they they salute him." And then in verse 22, it says, then answered the wicked men, the men of Belial. And what did we talk about? What is Belial? Sons of Satan, sons of evil. You know, those who are bad. So it really repeats it twice. The wicked men, the sons of Belial, the sons of Satan, basically. They say, uh, they stayed back. They don't get anything. Yeah, okay. And then they go, they start out, they're not getting anything. Oh, well, we'll give them their kids and their wives and their kids. They had no plans to give them any animals, any of the spoil, nothing. This is the way the world worked before Christianity. We've talked about this several times. Before, you didn't go to battle. You didn't get anything. That was the mentality they had. David is very wise here, and he says, No, these guys performed a very important task for us. They guarded the supplies. If they had not guarded the supplies, we'd have had to drag the wagons with us. We probably would have never caught up with the enemy, is what he's basically saying. And he says, everybody will share equally. Now, this is a divine thing that God has put into place as well. Every Christian who has any part in reaching out to the ministry gets rewarded. It's part of this process. Whether you're the one that gave money to support that people, you went out and, and actually supported them, you gave stuff. And this principle actually has been implemented by just about every military in the world even to today. In our military today, the if a group goes out and they actually fight the battle, they get the mil, they get the battle ribbon if there's a ribbon attributed to it. The entire supply line gets the ribbon for that for that battle. And the officers who said, did nothing but plan it, get officers, this is why generals have a whole bunch of ribbons on there. When you see these generals with a whole bunch of ribbons, it's because they did planning for bunches of attacks, so they get ribbons for doing nothing but planning. But their planning was necessary to get the job done. But everybody down the line will get, get the award. David institutes this in a time when it was not even fathomable that the, they deserved it. You know, he's going, if it wasn't for them, we would have nothing to come back for. And yes, they had a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, in this case, it wouldn't have mattered you know, whether they kept somebody back there. But what if he had been beat? If he had been beat, that was the retreating point that would have been supplied, and he would have had some fresh, you know, fresh men to be able to come back into the, into the battle, battle stage. So David is setting up this whole thing, and he's also just showing mercy and grace. Because these guys did a very important job. And we need to understand, and as we deal with one another in the, in the church, and I say this frequently you know, to the church, I'm the one that gets the pleasure of being recorded and put on the website. But the church is the one that may, you know, pays the money to keep the website up and running, so the church is going to, anybody who's given money to the church gets, gets the benefit of whatever's happening out there on the web, you know, And that's the great thing. When we go out and we do the, the uh, parade, you know, and there's only a handful that actually walked the parade, but how many people donated to, the, to, to buy the bags and buy the tracks and, to buy and to donated the, the uh, candy and stuff? Everybody has a reward within that because every without each person doing what they did, the whole thing would not have been done. And that's basically what David is telling these guys. Uh, you, you're being wicked. we you know, we needed them. We needed them doing what they did. And he could have even said, you know, if they didn't stay back with the baggage carts, we'd have had to been dragging those carts over this road and we would have never have caught up with these guys. We and may, We may never have caught up with these guys in the first place. With them keeping back with the baggage, the horses were free to run at a faster rate than the, than the carts could go. And so David is going, you're not going to be evil. We're not going to treat each other evilly. And, you know, this is something that we need to be careful of even when we're dealing with one another as Christians. A lot of times people look, well, you know, what has that person done? Well, I don't know what they've done, but God knows what they've done. They might be the greatest prayer warrior in the church, in the group. They might have, they might be the one giving the most money. I don't know what they do, and I don't care what they do because it's between them and God. And that's what David is saying here. You know, what is it that is going to be done? Who is going to be benefited the most from it? Everybody, everybody. You know, and I can think about uh, we you know what in the Bible. It's got such great rewards. And we look at these things, you know, and look and see how did people get rewarded. And it's fun to be able to see afterwards. You know, David, uh, Joseph told his brothers, you intended evil by selling me as a slave. God intended good from it. You know, Joseph tended to understand all things work together for good. You know, you thought, it, you thought you were going to do evil. You were getting rid of me, and yet God sent me ahead this is what he tells his brothers, so that I could rescue you because there's five more years of famine still coming. Get dad down here. Okay? Uh, we look at all the different things that happen. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are one of my favorite, you know, uh, characters. You know, they're standing in front of Nebuchadnezzar saying, and he's saying, "No, I'm going to, if you don't bow down, I'm going to burn you. And they go, you know, and then, he, then Nebuchadnezzar says a statement, you know, and who can deliver you from my hand? Nebuchadnezzar at that time was very prideful and I love their answer our God can deliver you but whether he does or doesn't we will serve the Lord and they were ready to die for God and God honored that that stance that they took and he delivered them mostly I think to get under Nebuchadnezzar's skin (laughs) uh, because there's so many times when he let his servants die Uh, you know we, we look at somebody like a Jonah yeah. Jonah told go to Nineveh. He says no thank you God I'm going the other way. God brings him back to Nineveh. Even when he preaches to Nineveh he gets up on the mountain waiting even though Nineveh has repented. He gets up on the hillside waiting for God to destroy the people that had repented. And then he complains to God I knew you were going to be that way. I knew you'd forgive them if they repented so I didn't want to preach to them. You know, it's kind of amazing. We've got somebody like Jonah who probably isn't getting a lot of rewards for, for the rescue of Nineveh because he didn't want to, and he was waiting for them to be destroyed. And God gave him all kinds of pictures and stuff to it. You know, and the very nature of God is for, for grace and mercy. The disciples all fled from Jesus at his death, and he had to restore them. And then they went on, once they were filled with the Holy Spirit, to give their life for Christ and start a movement that has not stopped until still hasn't stopped, really. Uh, It's slowing down, (laughs) you know, uh, but has not stopped. And they changed the world. Their, their Their moving and preaching the gospel changed the world from the very violent, cruel place that it was to a place that generally loved and and moved forward and lifted up people's rights Uh, and this is the great news that God has is that he moves forward and he uses people and he's used people all along you know and it was something that just dawned on me the other day is what what great blessings even the thief on the cross because everybody will comment and I used to comment about it the same thing the thief on the cross has you know, just died and went to heaven. His story has led a lot of people to the Lord. He's probably got rewards that he knows nothing about, you know, knew nothing about at the time because people were going to get saved because of what he did. Long, long line. What did Jesus say about Mary? Leave her alone because what she's done for me will be talked about throughout the ages. You know, God has touched us over and over again and we don't know fully what our life's impact on people will be Uh, I have never checked it out but there's said to be a long line of of people who have directly gotten saved from DL Moody to Billy Sunday to to Billy Graham and I've never checked it out to, to prove it but I trust the people I've heard say it but you know long line and the one who started D.L. Moody was just a poor shoe salesman who had never before led anybody to the Lord and he was scared to death to talk to D.L. Moody because you know, D.L. Moody was, a, was not a nice guy at the time. <laughs> you know, but he had been, and that man had been challenged by his Sunday school teacher <laughs> to, to go out and talk to people. You know, What a line of, you know, if that is a true line, but you know, what has happened? How many people... Did it take to get you saved? You know, you know, when we think about the person who maybe led us to the Lord, what if we knew the line that followed them, you know, to see how it how it moved down? You know, a long line and rewards going to everybody in that line. And for for us in this latter day, what kind of rewards we're gonna get? I don't know. I don't know how God's gonna work the rewards, but we're not gonna we're not gonna lose out just because we're at the end of the line. The remember the story of the Vineyard owner who went out in the morning, and he hired a bunch of workers. He says, I'm gonna pay you a denarii for the day's wage. Then he went out at nine o'clock and hired some more people. He didn't tell them how much he was gonna pay them. Went out at noon, hired a bunch of people. Went out at three, hired a bunch of people. Went out one hour before it's time to stop working, hired some more people. If you remember the story, he started paying the people who came in last, first. And he paid them a denarii, a full day's wage and worked his way down the line, giving everybody a full day's wage, got to the very end and said, you know, they're expecting, I put in a whole day, I'm going to get more money, and they got the denarii that they, were, that they had agreed to. And he goes, if I'm, free, if I'm you know, free with my money, what problem is it that you got what you agreed? That's a picture of what the Father's going to do for all of us when we get to heaven. We all get full wages. And then then some. In many ways, we will get fully, we'll get rewarded however God wants to reward us. For He could backtrack it. He goes, okay, because you're in this chain, I'm going to give you everything they got as well. Who knows how he's going to do it? But it's, it's going to be fair by God's standards, not by man's standards. Uh, and David is saying, we're going to take care of these people. They get a share of this bounty and we want to keep understanding that people all get rewarded and God's gonna reward us in ways that we don't even understand when we get to heaven we're gonna get blessings that we don't understand we're gonna get so much more than we ever expected because of His love for us he loves us so much that Jesus died for us so that we could go to heaven and heaven's not the end reward when we get there you know, Jesus has said, I go and prepare a place for you. You know. And he talks about mansions. we and we've discussed that mansions in the old English did not mean what we think of a great big twenty-two building you know, room, you know, room building on the hilltop. It meant a suite of rooms. You know, he's creating suites of rooms for us in heaven. And you know, can you imagine what that would be like? God created the world in 6 days and he's been working for 2000 years on our on our on our home. I can't even imagine what that would be what kind of rooms those must be. Cuz you look at the world and what he created in 6 days, you know, what what has God done, you know, in let's say 6000 years, you know, he went all the way back to the beginning and started working on our home probably. You know, but at least 2000 years from the time Jesus actually bought us. What kind of what kind of glory will there be in heaven? I can't even, I can't fathom what it would be. It'll make the earth look pale. The best of whatever this world has will look pale compared to whatever God has made in heaven. And David understands this and he says, everybody will get, and I love this, and he made it an ordinance for Israel. You know, whoever guards the stuff, whoever whoever ran the supply lines, they got rewarded because in there, like I said, before that, it was all, well you didn't go to battle, you don't get the reward." And David says, "No, everybody gets rewarded because you couldn't do it without the rest of the you couldn't do it without the rest of them. And that did get picked up. It pretty much got picked up across militaries all around the world, and apparently, David is the one that started it, according to the scriptures. And uh, it's, and it's a well-deserved thing, and it is a God. God thing that he says, you know, it is it is it is good. Verse twenty-six. And when David came to Ziglag he sent of the spoil unto the elders of Judah, even to his friends, saying, Behold, a present for you of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord, to them that were in Bethel, and to them which were in in South Ramoth, and to them that were in Jittar, and them that which were in Aor. And to them which were in Simoth, and them that were in Estilmoah, and to them which were in Rachel, and them which were in the cities of Jereites, and to them which were in the cities of the Kenites, and them which were in the Homa, and them which were in Koroshan, and to them that were in Atek, and to them that were in Hebron and to all the places where David himself and his men were wont to hunt, All right, so David says, I have got a big spoil and I'm going to, I'm gonna say, bribe the, <laughs> bribe the leaders of Judah. <laughs> he's staying on their good side. You know, you might as well say a bribe because that's really what it was. I'm buying their loyalty. And it doesn't say how big of the spoil he took, but he's now taken, whether he's taken it out of the part that was his spoil, or if he's just telling the men, you know, we're going back to Judah You know, Judah One day, where I'm taking a portion of this for them. I don't know. It doesn't say where he got the portion that he gave these guys. Um, but he's sending it all over the place, and you know, I love this to the places where David and his, himself and his men were wont to hunt or hang out. <laughs> Haunt, haunt here does not mean to, to be specters, you know. It means just where they wanted to hang out. So David takes of this great spoil. Now, part of the spoil already came from these poor towns that he, that he was taking it, sending it back to. But a big part of it had also come from the Philistines. And he's sending this, this gift, bribe, whatever you want to call it, back to the Judah. Because I believe he understands his time is coming soon to be returning to be king, so he's really wanting to get on everybody's good side, okay. And in, this is his chance to pay back, okay. What has happened where him and his men have hung out? Most of the time, the people have supported him, and kept him, kept a secret, kept him, kept him uh, from being turned in. Now we do know we noticed remember a couple times where people turned him in and and uh, to Saul. But for the most part, they didn't turn David and his men in. They just, you know, uh, kind of idea that David was, uh, uh, you know, Sherwood Forest. You know, the, that idea. You know, he's taking care of them, Robin Hood. You know, he's 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 liked by the people. He protected the people. And I don't think he stole from the rich and gave it to the poor, but he protected the people. He he was he was honorable to them. And for the most part, they go, we like having David around. Uh, Nabal being the fool that his name says he was, you know, he, he really badmouthed David and said, Well, who are you and why should I be, you know, you know, why should I give you anything? And you know, that we know how that worked out, God judged him. But he's now sending back this is his opportunity. You guys have supported me, you've paid me. Now here, I'm gonna send you back gifts for being so kind to me and kind to my men. So you might say gifts, you might say bribes, you know, whatever, whatever term you like the best. He's sending gifts back to people that have protected him and you know, and his friends that have been, been keeping him and said, here, these are part of what God has given me. I'm now giving to you. Because remember, David doesn't have a lot. He has, this whole time that he's been running from Saul, he has nothing. He's gained a couple wives, but he's never had a whole lot. Him and his men are... Refugees, and you can't you can't build a farm when you're a refugee. You, you really can't have any you know large flocks and herds. You might keep a handful of goats and and sheep to have some stuff, but you when it's time to run, you're going to leave those things behind because sheep and goats do not travel fast. So when it's time to run, you're running, and then you're eventually hoping that somebody's going to give you some goats and sheep and cows at the next place you go to. And so now David's saying, okay, you guys have helped me. I'm now blessing you back. And this is something that does happen, and we understand when we honor God with our gifts, he eventually sends them back. Now, usually in our lifetime, not, but not necessarily. He does promise it later on. But it inevitably will happen even in our own lifetime. When you give somebody something, God will provide you the gift back. And, and then some. And apparently David's gift was then some. <laughs> okay, all right, you gave me a couple, couple of sheep and goats, here. I'm giving you a, you know, a whole bunch. You, you helped support me, I'm giving you a whole bunch. And this is the way God works in our life and this has been so wonderful. We see that he just blesses. And it is not that we give to get a blessing if that's our motivation for giving, then we're given for the wrong reasons. And the Scripture very clearly teaches us that when we give, God gives back, pressed down, shaken together. You know, maybe not of the same exact thing. All right, God, I gave a car. I'm going to get five cars back, right? No, nope. <laughs> you know, uh, why anybody would want five cars, I don't know. But you know, uh, you know, but we hear it all the time on the on the televangelists. You know, give me my. You know, $100, $1,000, $10,000, and you'll get back, you know, 10 times or 100 times or whatever. No, that's not what the scriptures teach us. If that's your reason for giving, you're given for the wrong reason. We give to God to support God. We give to people to help them. And then God says, oh, you're, you're helping others. You're helping, you're, you're helping support the church. Now let me give back. And that may be just having, you know, sometimes it's finding the best deals out there and getting much more than you normally could. Uh, One of the great things when I first came to this area was God blessed me in so many ways. I made a third of as much money and and, and ended up with more stuff. And I was like, God, I don't understand this. And I don't understand it. And how does God do this? I don't know. How God can say, okay, I want you to give me 10% of your money, and you're going to buy more stuff with your 90% than you would have bought with your 100%? I don't know how he does it. There's gifts involved. There's special deals involved that we find. There's people supplying you know, extra things for us. All I know is that when you give to God, blessings follow. And I really do, have, and I've always said this, I really believe that if you don't give to God, he takes his ten percent anyway. Whether you get worse deals, breakdowns, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of things that God says, okay, you didn't want to give me your ten your ten percent, I will take my ten percent. How about just peace of mind? Peace of mind, yo, that's, to me it's, that's one of the greatest things, just knowing the peace of mind that God's in control. Uh you know, and that's why I said, it doesn't all have to be physical stuff. It literally, it can be just the peace. But God is also blessed in so many ways. And you know, when you go to the store and all of a sudden you come back with three times what you thought you could buy with what you what you took to the store. And going, wow, look at this. I, you know, where you go to the store, if you haven't been giving to God, and you go to the store thinking you're going to buy a bunch of stuff, and they've just raised all the prices. And you end up with a third of the stuff that you, you know, or half the stuff that you thought, you know, the blessings that God bestows, and like you say, peace of mind is wonderful. Uh, but you know, I have given to God my tithe over the years, and I've never done without. Have I had all the great blessings and everything that some that might have been able to buy if I'd have spent all of it? Well, I don't think I would have been able to buy all the stuff if I hadn't honored God in the first place. But I don't feel like I've lost anything. You know, in my lifetime, I've always had a roof over my head. The utilities have always been on, and I've been a- and been able to get back and forth to work. Now sometimes it was the shoe leather express to get me back and forth to work, but you know. But as you said, there was peace. You know, I haven't gone without. I don't miss it. No. I don't. You know, it's gone. I don't even think about not having it or right. Could have had it. Just don't miss it. It's just part of what I do. Yeah. It's like okay, God, here's your part, and I pay him first. Here's your part, God, and. And then, okay, God, whatever else, whoever else gets paid. And the good news is everybody else gets paid. Sometimes I don't understand how they all get paid, but they all get paid. And that's the good news that we have. And that God takes care of us. He honors our faithfulness to him. And all he wants is that faithfulness. You know, we're told that, you know, we cast our bread upon the waters, and he returns them. You know, and it's amazing sometimes to watch how God does these blessings. Uh, there's been more, more than one time in my lifetime when cars have been given to me when I needed a car. Just given, no, you know, not sold, just given. Uh, there's been times when people have just handed me money, even before I was a pastor, you know. It's like, wow, you know, this is strange. You know, who, who just hands somebody else money? <laughs> but, uh, like pay it but you know, we we look at this whole process. David is saying, "You guys blessed me. Now here's my opportunity to bless you." I just I have just gotten pretty wealthy by the sound you know by the sound of what happened. He got he's he could be content being wealthy. He says, "I'm going to give it to the people who have helped me and pay back to them." And, Hopefully, that was his intent. I kind of see it as a bribe. But <laughs> he, he, he might have been righteous and just trying to, to pay back. <laughs> and I don't want to put, be totally negative on David. But David, as good as he is and as great as he is as a leader, he was very worldly. He was very worldly. And he did things the world's way. And we're going to see a lot of that as he starts governing. And then what he tells uh, Solomon when Solomon gets ready to reign. David is a worldly man when it comes to politics. He plays politics and uh, we see that over and over again you know we've seen we've seen his worldly ways as we've been as he's been running around but he also loves God with his whole heart he has his weaknesses just like all of us we all have weaknesses and strengths David has a lot of strengths but we've also seen a lot of his weaknesses and yet God loved him loved him with his whole heart and and says he's a man after my own heart. Why? Because David sought God. For the most part, he sought God. Was he perfect? No. Were any of us perfect? No. Uh, and David had many problems in his life. And he's going to have some big ones coming up here in the next book that we cover. But you know, we've already seen a number of his, his little problems. He lies with, with ease, which makes him probably a good politician. He can lie with ease and has no problem lying. Uh, He has a bad temper. We saw that with Nabal. Nabal, you you have insulted me. I'm now going to kill you and your family, and I'm going to take what what you should have given me Uh, and was rescued by Abigail. Uh, David's gotten a little bit of temper problems, which is kind of amazing with his temper that he never killed Saul when he had those opportunities. You he had a tender heart as well toward God in in many cases. You know, he had temper. He had ability to lie. We're going to see that he has lust issues and all these other things that he has. Uh, And short-sighted to some degree. um, When he kills, uh, yeah. Uriah. I kind of totally drew a name blank. When he kills Uriah, you know, it's, it's this quick, short sighted, I've got to get out of this trouble. The quickest way is get rid of the husband and I'll make her my wife and they'll all think the child is mine. You know, uh, and he had a lot of those. Where we'll, We will see that he's not a very good father. He doesn't discipline any of his kids. He, he really much lets them do what they want, which is not uncommon in his day and age for the father not to discipline their kids. You know, they either held him with a really iron fist or they left it to mom to take care of, mom and the servants. Uh, and he was that kind of dad, leaving it to mom and the servants. And we're going to see all the problems in the next book that cause, caused by that attitude of David. But David was a man that loved God. And I love being able to look at David and saying, if God can love David and say that he's a man after his own heart, there's hope for anybody. There's hope for anybody. If God can say David was a man after my heart, there's hope for anybody because he's a liar, he's an adulterer, he's a murderer, he's a bad-tempered man, uh, and yet God says, I loved him, and he loved me. There's, you know, look at a man like David, and you go, yes, there's hope. There's hope. I, I can, I can be loved by God. You know, uh, beyond just knowing that Jesus died for us and everything, but you know, David is somebody we can all look at and, and probably see something wrong in our own life in David. Um, Solomon also is that same type of man, but he didn't get the testimony that God loved him, you know, <laughs> loved him. But Solomon came back to God at the end. And Solomon tried everything, you know. Solomon, David is just every man's man type person. Solomon is the epitome of the spoiled, rotten, rich person who says, "I can have whatever I want." And he's the one that tells us, you know, in the scriptures, "I tried it all, and it was vanity; it was worthless." We don't usually hear that from the wealthy in our, in our day, you know. If they get saved, we'll hear it, and everybody goes, "Yeah, right." <laughs> yeah, you know, right. But Solomon says, I've done it all. And when he said he did it all, and when we, and Sunday mornings we're going to start going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to see that he literally did everything that could be done by a human being. And he was wealthy enough to do it. Now, he had more money than anybody has ever existed, and he tried everything. He collected, he worked, he, you know, he tried all kinds of stuff, and he says it's all vanity. And when somebody like Solomon tells you it's all vanity we need to be able to accept that and you know because we all have a tendency to think you know well you know we hear the stories about how many people win the lottery and and end up wishing they'd never won it and then everybody will say well yeah well uh, I just wish I could get to you know uh, I'd do better. No you wouldn't you wouldn't do any better than all the other people that failed failed you know if you got wealthy you'd be just as miserable as the wealthy up there because wealth does not satisfy in the long run. And people who have had money and no longer have money usually say the same exact thing. I am happier, I literally am happier now than I, than I used to be making three times as much money because God has blessed each part of my life and brought peace. And this is true of just about anybody who's ever had it and lost it. You can have wealth and be with God and be happy with God and use his money. There have been people that have done that. There have been several great Christians who have, you know, used God's, you know, been very wealthy and used that money to support missions and activities with God. And they're never caught up in the, in the money. You know, they're not, they're not like the rich, most of the rich who go, well, if I get just a little more, I'll be happy. No, you won't. You weren't happy back when you had a hundred dollars. You're not happy when you have a hundred million dollars. You're not happy with a billion dollars. You won't be happy with a trillion dollars because money will never make you happy. Solomon proved it with women. uh, You're never gonna be happy because happiness must be in God. Ultimate happiness must be in God. Can we be happy for short periods of time? Yes. You know, most people get really happy when they buy their brand new dream car, their brand new dream house. After they've had it for a little while, the the newness is worn off, the smell is worn off. and Somebody else has bought, bought something a little bit better or has something that they perceive to be a little bit better and they're no longer happy. Happiness will not last without God. And we see it over and over. People will look happy in the bar while they're drinking and playing around with all their so-called friends. But how do they feel at 3 o'clock in the morning when the bar is closed and they're alone or with somebody they don't know, know, thinking they're having a good time, and then realizing the next morning (laughs) that they did something stupid. or at three o'clock in the morning when they're alone and nobody's there and there's you know and they're and they're coming down off of the, the being, you know buzzed so high. And all of a sudden they're realizing, I'm not happy. I really wasn't happy then either, but everybody thought I was, and everybody was playing the same game that we're all happy. You know, without God, there is no true inner peace and happiness. And the more we trust God, the more happiness and the more peace, and I want to use peace more than happiness, the more joy and peace I have because God is in control. And that's one of the greatest things that I look at is God is in control. And because he's in control, I can have peace. And peace, when we define that from the, from the Greek, is that inner sereneness that knows that God is in control. I know my lot, whatever that is, God's in control. And that, you know, that gives us great peace. God, you're in control. I'm not worried about hell. I'm not worried about anything. You're, gonna, you're in full control of whatever comes my way. And when we can really truly understand that and accept it and believe it, that gives us great peace. Okay? God, uh, what are all these bad things that seem to be happening to me? God says, don't worry about it. I've got it. It's not, gonna, it's not for your hurt. It's for good. Yeah. can you imagine how joseph would have felt and how you probably did feel uh, brothers don't sell me into you know slavery uh you know and you can imagine you know well he's being drugged behind the camels because that's what they did to the slaves they chained him on a long chain and and drugged them along behind everything and if they fell they just drug them for a while you know he's on this march going god you gave me this dream that my brothers were going to bow down to me and father and mother were going to bow down to me and now i'm Now I'm being taken away from them. I'm going into slavery, and he didn't have the advantage of having Romans 8:28 written at the time. Okay, but he had to put his trust in God. All right, God, they sold me as a slave. I'm in Potiphar's house. All right, God, I'm going to do the best I can. You know, I'm going to do a job for you. I'm going to honor you. Rises to, rises up in rank. You know, being being looked at, being being moved. You know. Saying, okay, God, well, not quite what you promised me, God. I'm not, I'm not being bowed down to by my brothers and my and my father and mother, but you know, it's not too bad a life. And then Potiphar's wife takes notice of him and decides to try to seduce him. He rejects, she charges him with rape. And I've always believed that Potiphar knew his wife's ways because he didn't immediately execute Joseph, which would have been the which would have been a husband's attitude if somebody tried to seduce or rape their, their wife. I think he understood his wife's character and put Joseph in prison. Now oh, here we go, poor, poor Joseph, you know. <laughs> okay, God, I was kind of satisfied with where you had me, and now you put me into prison. Now, how, you know, can you imagine him saying, well, how much lower can I go, God? <laughs> you know, I've gone from you know, favorite son of my father to slave to prisoner. And still honors God. You know, I can't imagine that he didn't grumble once in a while to God, but there's no mention in the Bible that he ever grumbled. No mention that he ever complained. Now, I'm, he was human. I am sure there was some time when he was just grumbling to God and complaining. God, you know, I don't understand any of this. And the next thing you know, he's second in command of Egypt. You know. And that was just out of the blue. You you think about how quick that went. He's been in prison at least 13 years, or been slavery in prison for 13 years, and who knows how long in prison. But one day he's awoken, uh, moved in the prison and said, you're going to appear before Pharaoh now. And it says that he took time to clean up and, and shave, you know, which is exactly what you would do if you were called to go in front of the president or, or the governor. You wouldn't just uh, show up in your prison garments, you know, haven't, haven't bathed for a week, you haven't shaved, you know. He took the time to do the things he was supposed to do to be presentable and got promoted in less than 24 hours. From the bottommost thing to the top. Israel... Uh, Egypt was the pride of the world at that time. They were the empire of the world at that of that time. So he's gone from being a prisoner to being second in charge of the most powerful kingdom out there. And then, can you imagine how it felt when he saw it, when he saw his brothers bowing before him? You know how hard must it have been for him to, you know, keep the smile off his face, or you know, about time you guys bow down to me, or whatever you know. Uh, you know, there could have been some addictiveness in there. And then he put them through a bunch of trials. But, uh, uh, but you know, God blesses us in ways that we never even understand. He will run us through problems sometimes that we don't understand the why so that he can elevate in the end. Now, how many of these people that were martyred for Christ, you know, the world looks at them, well, they wasted their life. Well, there's all kinds of people that have gotten saved because of their being martyred. You know, they've got rewards. They gave up their life and got rewards. And God will show them in heaven, here are your rewards. Here they are. <laughs> you know, and there may be even people that come up to you, well, you know, I read your story. I read your story and that's why I got saved. You know, if you read Fox's book of Martyrs, there's plenty of people that got saved because of their death, right there in the book. But That book has led people to the Lord. That's led people to be strengthened in the, in the Lord. You know, it's a hard book to read. It's, it's a very hard book to read. It's very uh, grotesque at various parts because of its graphicness. But it is a, it is a book that encourages. It's amazing in parts, though, too. Huh? It's amazing in parts. Oh, it, it's an amazing book. I, I highly recommend reading it. Even though it is a hard book to read, I recommend reading Fox's Book of Martyrs because you see the faithfulness of people and the suffering that they endured, and Christ gave them strength to suffer. I think it's as valuable a book as any of these other biographies we read to get encouraged of how God blessed them. Because God can also bless us through the death and the strength he'll give us in that death and the tortures that are coming that we'll be looking forward to. Uh, The Romans were great at torturing. The Roman Catholic Church was great in the Middle Ages of torturing true believers and they had really made it an art form <laughs> uh, in, in, for their torture and trying to, trying to get people to recant. We need those kind of stories as well because we're coming into a time when Christianity will be persecuted and we're talking probably physical persecution again at some point Uh, We already have it in the Middle Eastern countries where the Muslim rulers reign. Their favorite one is beheading, but they they have other tortures they they use. And torture is already in existence for a lot of the Christian world. We in America have been spared so far. And I say so far very meaningfully because I think it's going to change, and I think when it changes, it's going to change fast. And we need to prepare ourselves, saying, God, it's not all... Roses and, and you, know, you know, good times and ponies and all that other stuff. You know, there are hardships coming. And that is why the American church especially, but most of the European church as well, is not prepared for what's coming. They have bought into this whole, you know, name it, claim it, uh, God is going to bless you stuff. If you get saved, it's all, all you know, good, good things coming your way. No. We've been fortunate in America. We've been fortunate in America, but God says things are coming. And we... And <laughs> everything was persecuted. We, and we're watching the persecution growing around the world. The Jews are under persecution again. Christians are under persecution in most of the world. And even in the parts of the world where it has not been a strong persecution... We're seeing the tide change. And the ones that are going to be persecuted are not all the churches that are changing their message and teaching, you know, becoming politically correct and you know, following the world, even though they're claiming to be Christians. It's going to be churches like ours that say that sin is sin and that we're going to hold on to the Bible. And there's fewer and fewer of these churches. And when we get to a certain you know, uh, remnant of people, persecution will come. Because nobody's going to hold back. We want to retaliate, but sin is sin and not retaliate. Our job is not to retaliate. Our job is to honor God. That's right. um, And this is going to be where we're looking at. David conquered. You know, David did all kinds of crazy things to be in Ziglag in the first place. All right? And yet God honored him to get his people back. And blessed him in a great way. We're close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love us. Lord, we thank you for somebody like David who was a man after your heart with all of his frailties and failures that we can take courage in that that you will honor and bless us because you honored and blessed David. Lord, give us strength as we look at the future. Give us grace to go through whatever you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen.